Let's pray. Father, it's always difficult to transition from worship, singing songs to you, connecting with you at a very uh, deep level, into announcements and then into a sermon. But we know that you're here. We know that you're with us. So give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, Father, postured before you, feet that want to run with obedience, minds that can comprehend your word. Father, I pray that, that as we read your words today, that we walk out of here with greater hope. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Acts 27 today. Fun story. I know that I'll have Bob's attention because he said, if you ever talk about boats, you have my attention. So I'm going to have his attention all service today, and Catherine might wet herself, and he won't even know it. <laughs> so um, today we're going to talk about a big storm. How many of you guys have ever been a part of a big storm? In a big storm, spiritually in a big storm. Mentally in a big storm, emotionally in a big storm, financially in a big storm. Scott's like, can I get a witness? <laughs> We've all been in storms. And you know what? We had a weird storm last week, too. I was leaving the school, and while I was leaving the school, the clouds rolled in, and the wind was blowing me off the road. But um, storms are powerful. And one of the things that's unique about storms is we can't control them. There's two things that we can do, either bunker down or try to run from them, right? There's such this um, uniqueness about a storm that, that always draws us to God when they get really big. And I can't imagine, um, you know, I, I saw this video of this crane worker in Nashville. Did anyone see that video? So there was a crane worker, and he's you know, 300 feet in the air, and then he's on top of a, or he's on top of a skyscraper, and then he's on top of a crane. He said it takes him 15 minutes to get down from this crane, and they had a two-minute warning to get off of it. So what could he do? He videos it. <laughs> he hunkered in. He tied his bootstraps and he cried out. He was recording it. He was giving his last words. If I don't make it, if I don't make it, this person I love you and that person I love you. There's something about a storm that you know you can't control. And our only hope within many storms is Jesus. But what's unique about storms is often within storms, big and small, we often try to escape them. We try to run from them. We try to get away from them. We try to avoid them. We, we try to become Lord over our own life. And knowing many conversations that I've had with a lot of you guys in here, or what I've known about your past and present, you've all been through something, right? We've all been through something big or small. So storms are needed. I'm going to tell you that today. Storms are needed in our lives. Storms confront us. 
and we need confronted. Storms refine us, and we need refined. So we're getting ready to read about Paul being caught up as a slave in a ship while having a storm of all the ages. The uniqueness about this is Paul's whole life seemed to be a storm. He rarely seemed to have it easy. Yet what I love about Paul and his personality is in spite of his whole life seemingly being a storm, he still pressed in. He was still persistently following Jesus. That's a great witness, isn't it? That no matter how tough things were getting for him, he pressed in and he trusted. Every human being faces some kind of heartache, anxiety, difficulty, stress, or loss. And many of us right now are facing that today. Many of us right now are facing a storm that only we and Jesus know about. And I was getting ready to say, let me know if there's a storm in your life that you're dealing with, but then everyone would know about it. Well, here's what I think we need to do as a church. There's two things. As a global church, is we need to be more confident in confessing sin because we understand that Scripture says that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Every, every one of us. So we should, we should be more willing to say, you know what, I'm a sinner and I fall short. Number two would be this, that um, we all have problems and we don't need to hide them. I'm not saying spill your dirty laundry right now. So at the end of service, we're not going to open up the same mic and say, tell us your laundry, Rob. No, you, you should have people in your life that you can share those things with. But everyone's facing something. Job, uh, chapter 5 even, tells us about it. Verse 7. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. So what's he saying? Trouble's going to happen to man. Trouble's going to happen to woman because there is man. Oh, come on, women. I'm trying to pick your side here, and you're leaving me high and dry. Matthew 5, 45. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Things are going to happen to the good and to the bad. We can't get away from it. Now, what we can do is this, is as Christians, we can begin to change the way that we expect that this Christian life is going to happen to us. I'm not saying you can't be happy. I'm not saying that you can't have peace. Because peace comes from Jesus Christ and intimately knowing Jesus Christ. The only way to intimately know Jesus Christ, of which we're going to talk about here, here in a little bit, is to remain on the ship. To trust God through the storm. See, Paul understood that we were going to face good and bad times really well. He knew that as he went throughout his life, he was going to face storms. He also realized that life, this life, isn't a playground, but it's a battleground. 
As Christians, we forget about that. This life is a battleground. We are saints sent by God to go into the world and battle for him. It's easy not to think about that, but we want it to be a playground. We want it to be about us and playing tag, but it's actually a battleground. Ephesians 6, 12 tells us about this. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Our struggle is not with flesh and blood. It's with the unseen world. It's with demons and demonic powers and Satan. It's like a storm, a big storm, right? Because the enemy of our soul is always out to affect what Jesus is trying to do. See, we don't get to see what's going, out, going on in the unseen world, right? If we were able to see what was going on in the unseen world, then it would be the seen world. But imagine what's going on within our community right now. There's, there's a war being raged for people's souls and their freedom. Imagine what could be taking place right now outside of these, I was going to say four walls, but we certainly have more than four walls on this building. It's like a puzzle. I mean, just section here, section there, section there. And if you're new, you're like, I don't even know where the bathroom is. The bathroom's right out here, this exit door. There's something going on out there. And a lot of what's going on out there, because the battle is not with flesh and blood, what's going on out there is actually affecting the troubles that we have today. The global church has to move past the idea of, if, of, if I only follow Jesus, everything will work out just the way that I planned. Well, it won't. Yes, God will open doors, provide opportunities, give confirmation, bring peace. But that doesn't mean that the path will always be problem-free or easy. The path is not going to be problem-free or easy. Your life is not going to be problem-free or easy. But you know what's really fun? Is you get to learn different aspects about God every time you go through something different. So when you think of Psalm 23, even though you lead me, or even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will lead me with your rod and with your staff. Even though I walk through this valley, right? Well, if you don't walk through the valley, you don't get to see God lead you with his rod and with his staff. Amen? So, so how can you trust that God is your defender and he's going to lead you with his rod and with, with his staff if you've never seen him do it? Sometimes what ends up happening is he, he leads you. Or as, as when we went through Exodus, you get cornered, right? Your enemy and the water. Sometimes it's the storm that you face and the parting of the Red Sea that proves to you, even though it was a storm that you never would have chose to be in, God proves to you that he is faithful and just and loving you. So then the next time you face the Red Sea, 
You can say, God, I trust you, even to the last very second. That's intimacy, is to be willing to trust God to the very last second when things are not going your way. So Paul's always had a desire to go to Rome. And literally right now, he's in a literal storm. Heading to the place he always dreamed to go. Though I don't imagine when Paul dreamed to go to Rome, he dreamed to go on trial per se as a slave or basically a slave to to the people. As a felon per se. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to go in handcuffs. When Paul dreamed of going to Rome, he, he dreamed to go to Rome to plant a church, I'm sure. He dreamed to go to Rome to further the gospel. See, Paul's dream came to fruition, just not the way that he ever thought it would. And I don't hear him complaining. One could say Paul wanted to go as a missionary, but actually Paul went as a missionary even though he was a slave. And that's where we start today, Acts 27. Paul's on a big ship carrying cargo, uh, 276 people on board. And um, we'll learn here that it's late, late fall, getting into early winter. We're going to start in verse 7, and then we're going to go from there. We made some slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving at Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete, opposing Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had become dangerous because now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I see that our voyage is going to be uh, disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. So Paul has been shipwrecked before. I think two other times before this. So he has some experience on the water. Though he's not a professional boater like Bob, he doesn't know how to do it. You should see Bob on jet skis, by the way. He turns into a new man. I mean, the age, I thought it was Bill out there. I'm like, surely that's Bill. Nevertheless, Paul was not like Bob and knew how to really control a ship. He just had two experiences where he was shipwrecked. He, could, he had basic discernment of weather. Here's what I want to say is this. Is though Paul was not a sailor, he was not a captain, 
the Holy Spirit qualified him to know something that he shouldn't have known. I, I believe that the Holy Spirit was partnering with him in this moment to give him knowledge of what was to come. So I'll say it differently. God empowers the believer to do things that they're unqualified to do. So maybe you don't have 20 years experience as a secretary, but you do have the Holy Spirit. God can work with you. Maybe you don't have officially 30 years of outreach experience, but you have the Holy Spirit and he can work with you. Amen? God empowers the believer to do things they are unqualified to do. And in this instance, I believe that God is speaking to Paul about what is to come with basic discernment. In this case, Paul was able to put some pieces together. So it was past the Day of Atonement. So why are they telling us this? The time of year. It's late fall. It's getting into early winter. And here in the Mediterranean Sea, that's when the storms would come in. So what they ended up doing is um, these guys wanted to port a little bit safer, a little bit. Uh, we can go to the ne uh, next slide with the picture. So what they wanted to do is they wanted to port a little. So they're at Fair Havens, which is right in the center. They wanted to port over there at Phoenix because that, uh, that would block them from some wind and being sucked out to sea. And um, so what they ended up doing is they left Caesarea, went to Sidon, and they tried to stay as close to the coast as they could because of the weather. So you kind of see that. Then to Myra, to Nidus, and then they started to make the journey down. And this is all verses 1 through, through 7. So then they start coming down here to Lycia, and then they land at Fair Havens. So Fair Havens was just a normal little place to be. They were a little afraid of being sucked out, but it just really didn't have the amenities. It maybe didn't have Chipotle or didn't have uh, the bowling alley pizza. So they're like, we have to have bowling alley pizza and Chipotle. What are we going to do? So then they wanted to go to uh, Phoenix. And real quick, and that, by the way, um, that's not Phoenix, Arizona, just to let you know. Uh, I could see some of those looks like, well, where's Texas? So, <laughs> yeah, they're like, they must be really zoomed in because surely once they zoom out, we'll see Texas. <laughs> nope. Um, good thought, though. So what actually happens while we have this map up is we're getting ready to read this, but they're going to leave Fairhaven in hope of Phoenix, but then they get sucked out. And they get sucked out into the Mediterranean Sea and they fight with things and they fight and they fight and they, then they finally give up and they're going to land at Malta. That's a far way, isn't it? I mean, I know people who get nervous out on uh, Clancy Brown Reservoir. This is the ocean. I mean, this is a big deal. So, um, verse 13. And you know what? <laughs> Someone said this. You can't make this stuff up. Someone said, anyone who swam in Clancy Brown is immune to, um, immune to corona. <laughs> so if you want to get your... If you, that was free. 
If you, if you want to get safe from corona, just go swim in Clancy Brown. Anyone from Springfield who's a part of that, please forgive us. Verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they, uh, they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a hurricane force, force wind called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So they gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed, as we passed the lee of a small island called Calda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So what they did is the lifeboat was just hanging out there. They were fighting with it to get it on. So they finally get the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. So this hurricane's messing them up so much that then they throw ropes under and they're trying to tie it together because they know that if, if they remain in the storm this way, it's just going to bust apart. So they're doing everything that they can to keep the boat together because they were afraid that they would run aground on a sandbar of Sirtis. They lowered, um, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. So they said, you know what? We're just going to give up. We can't catch the wind we need. We can't sail against it. We don't have a motor. So what we're going to end up doing is we're just going to let the ocean and Mother Nature do what the ocean and Mother Nature wants to do. Scary place to be. But they knew if they continued to fight it, everything would break, break right? We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope to be saved. Sounds like a pretty scary storm, doesn't it? And here's what I know. Maybe none of us have ever been in a hurricane in the middle of the ocean. But I would say this. Probably all of us in this room have been at a place in our life where we've given up and felt like there was no hope. Anyone ever been there? We felt like there was no hope. This is a difficult situation for Paul. However, it was needed. So point number one is this, is we need God to challenge our comfort. I don't like that. I wish I didn't have to say it, but I don't get to make up the rules. Storms have the ability to wake us up and reveal to us what's really important. Some of us, gets in, some of us get in ruts. And when the storms come, we get challenged and our comfort gets challenged, and we flip out. Nature versus nurture, right? Nature kicks in, and we say, I'm going to figure this out. But could it be God doing something so much bigger than one could ever imagine? When the storms come, and we're confronted with them, 
Could it be God saying there's more to this experience of life than what you're aware of? And he says, this is why the storm's coming. See, many people don't realize what kind of spiritual funk that they may be in until the storm comes. We just don't realize it. And here, right here, when, when, when they're in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, they were, they were navigating by the stars. They were navigating by the sun. And it was like 14 days. They, they just didn't see anything. How are you going to have hope of anything when you can't even use the tools that you have because the tools that you have can't be used because everything's just covered? Many of us don't realize when we're in that spiritual funk. I mean, everything is good and dandy until you find yourself driving 60 on a sheet of ice, right? Or you're driving in the rain and you hydroplane. I mean, you are, you are jamming to Justin Bieber until you hydroplane. And then immediately once you hydroplane, you flip it to 88.7 or 100.7. And you get, you get right again, right? Anyone ever been there? Come on, be honest. <laughs> You're like, I better quit rebelling and listening to this hip-hop and R&B and put on the Jesus music again. See, see, life, life is all good and dandy, metaphorically speaking, until we hit the sheet of ice driving 60 miles an hour. And driving 60 miles an hour on a sheet of ice reveals to you what's actually really important. And what we're getting ready to see here, or what we have saw, is that this is a boat that's carrying grain. The men's livelihood. They're shipping it from one location to the next location, and they're carrying grain, which means their money, their families, their kids, their schooling, their vehicles their college, their retirement, their livelihood is on this ship. And it better be a big livelihood because they're wintering. It's not like a trip to Springfield. And for some of us, that's really far too. Urbana is about the extent that we're willing to drive. <laughs> Come on. Come on, somebody. So they're willing to get rid of their livelihood. Storms refine us. They challenge our comfort. They had no GPS, no engine. They're throwing stuff off the boat. And the only way for them to be guided, like I said, was the stars, the sun. Neither of those have they seen in days. But the storm helped them decide what was important in their life. And actually not what was important, but what was most important. And at this point, what was most important in their life was not the money that they could make. The most important thing in their life was just to survive. Their life was more important than their possessions. So we can look at that and we can say this. Your spiritual life, your life with Christ is more important than any possession you could ever add to your life. Amen? 
Sometimes what we have to do when we face these storms and God's refining us, we have to get rid of the things that are keeping us focused on the future rather than in the present with God. This is a grain ship. They're getting ready to get paid. But what good is getting paid if you die? They're throwing off their livelihood. You guys got that point. Storms refine us. When you have a storm, the grain, grain that was so important means nothing. Storms change our values. See, it was valuable to them to make the money until the money didn't even really matter anymore, right? What mattered to them was living. Storms change your values. When you face, how many of you have, I mean, you guys have heard my story. When, when I was 18, I broke my foot uh, right before basketball season. They went in and they did a um, x-ray. They found a mass in my ankle. And when they found the mass in my ankle for two weeks while well, I had to wait on the MRI to get approved and get in there, it was like, is it a tumor? That was a storm that I faced and my values during that storm were addressed. Can you guys relate to that at all? You've had that moment. That's, that's what I see happening here. And that refined me. Verse 21. Let's continue on. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. No one likes the know-it-all, do they? I don't think that that's what's going on here. But he is right. You should, you should have taken my advice <laughs> to not sail from Crete. Then you, would have been, uh, then you would have spared yourselves the damage and the loss. But now, but now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Shut up, Paul. Just shut up. I don't want to hear from you. Who, who, who told you you could talk? If we wanted to consider what you had to say, we would have considered it before we left. You're a prisoner right now. I don't care what you have to say. All we're trying to do is survive. So quit talking, start doing. Right? That's what I'd be saying. Shut up. Quit talking, start throwing stuff over. And here's what he said. An angel, last night an angel of God to whom I belong, and you know what, to whom we belong today as well, right? Amen. Last night the angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And let's just stop there real quick. So you're in a ship. It's hurricane force wind, you have no clue where you're at, you don't have a compass, you don't have an engine, you've thrown everything off, you've, you've thrown the tackle off, you've thrown the grain off, everything's just gone, anything extra on the boat is gone. All you really want to do is probably just survive. And the word that God brings you isn't a word of encouragement. It is, and then it isn't. See, the word of encouragement is, you're going to get to land safely, 
but you're still going to stand trial before Caesar. Why, why, why would you do that, God? Why would you do that? Why, why would you get me off the boat to still make me go see Caesar? That's probably one of the last things that I want to hear from God because I'm just like, you know what? Kill me now. Just let the boat sink. Because God has a plan and God has a purpose through the storm. Paul didn't get to choose his storm. But in the storm, God had a purpose and a plan. And he says, look, you're not finished here yet. You're still you still have more suffering to come. You thought this was bad. But he said this, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So I'll say this today. Whether you believe it or not, God's not done with you yet. God's going to see you through the storm. And the storm's something we've needed. And the storm's something you need. And the storm's something I need. God is not done with you yet. And what's really unique about this is the author, Luke, who's also on this ride, if you've, if you've catched it, the author uses we. So he's just not describing Paul's story. He's describing part of his story um, that he's joining Paul with. But the author, Luke, does a great job to physically illustrate what Paul has been preaching most of the book of Acts. Most of the book of Acts he has been preaching about this Jesus and how this Jesus saves, this message of redemption. So what Luke does is he creates this scenario of hopelessness, of being lost, of not being able to save ourselves, of emptying ourselves of everything that matters, and then the promise of hope is Jesus' word in our lives. And that's what Paul's been preaching the whole time. We sin, we fall short, we're hopeless without a savior. Turn from your sin, turn to Jesus, get rid of everything. Without me, this storm's gonna keep on going on. Luke illustrates it really well. The word of Jesus, the message of Jesus saves and it put the shipmates in a weird position because they seemed to be the furthest thing from safe at this point. And spiritually speaking, many people find themselves there as well and need the truth and saving power of God to fix that. It is sometimes hard for us to picture what our spiritual um, adrift might look like, right? Right? We might not understand how, how it would look if we were rebelling or far away from God. We don't understand it because our hearts are deceitful. But this illustration, I believe, gives us that picture. When we're far away from God, when we don't know Jesus, 
It's like all hell is breaking loose in our life. There's no hope. We have no power to fix it. But our only hope is the word of Jesus. Do you guys see this illustration coming to fruition? Or do I need, need to keep on explaining it? No hope in the middle of the ocean. The storm is raging. But God. Us in our sin with no hope. No peace. Nothing we can do to earn it. But God. That's the story that we see taking place here in Acts 27. This illustration should help us understand that a little bit more. But I ask the question this. Why did Paul believe the angel? You tell me, everyone always says, well, if I saw an angel, I would surely believe it. No, you're not. The the. No, you wouldn't. I mean, you might believe it, but there's no guarantee you would because the disciples saw many miracles and they still asked God to increase their faith. So if, if we continue to live under the lie that if we saw a miracle or if we saw an angel, that then everything would be fixed for us, we're lying to ourselves. Could it help? It certainly could help. Is it guaranteed to help? It's not. So why would Paul believe this? Why would Paul believe the angel from God? And what I believe it comes down to is Paul had intimacy with the Father. Paul knew God intimately. He had a history with God. And what I will say is this, is storms big and small in your life create history of God's faithfulness. We need to be um, able to remember God's faithfulness in the past storm to get through the current storm. Yes, the angel was extremely important during this moment. But Paul was able to reflect on all the other times that he's seen God faithful through an angel or in the jail or in a shipwreck or as he was beaten, right? See, Paul went through some stuff. And it was the stuff that he went through that created in him a knowing of who God was and a trust of God's faithfulness. So can you look back? What, I guess what I'm asking right now is this, is not that we like storms. We count them as, uh, we count them as joy. We don't love them. But can you look back at your life right now in a story in your life and say, God, when I was in that storm, I remember where you were. Can anyone do that? Think back in your life where there was a storm in your life where you're like, God, I remember you being there. That's what I want you to do. Remember that because if God did it then, I think God's going to do something now as well. Now, I can't guarantee it's going that now I'm not putting a parameter on what that now could be. The now could be another storm. But what we do know is God loves us, he's faithful, and he's in it. He's in the storm. It wasn't, um, I don't believe that, that the storms that Paul faced, um, the things that Paul faced usually didn't go the way that he dreamed them. Paul didn't grow to know God um, personally just because of Paul's attempts. It was the things that Paul couldn't control, in his, the extrinsic things, right, in Paul's life that created in him 
like forced him to trust God more. I can't stress this enough. If you want to know God at a deep level, at an intimate level, then you have to keep trusting him in the storm. Don't jump the ship. Remain where the blessing is. So Luke's illustration helps us remember to cling to the hope of Jesus and not jump the ship. Most people I know don't give up in the storm. You've grinded through a lot. But most people come out of the storm jaded. I've come out of storms really jaded. I've come out of storms frustrated at God. I've come out of storms frustrated at people. I've come out of storms disappointed and pointing fingers. I didn't give up, but I came out hurt and mad and frustrated. And if I was unwilling to deal with those things, those things will haunt me for a lifetime. See, what God wanted me to see with his faithfulness in that storm, not to walk out jaded. Has anyone ever walked out of a storm jaded? Anyone currently in a storm that they know they're going to be jaded? (laughs) Come on, somebody. So what ends up happening is because the the storms jaded me, the storms of life begin to scare me. So when I begin to read the Bible and I hear about those who desire to live a godly life will be, will be persecuted. And then I hear from the scriptures and I preach from the pulpit that action in our faith is required. I realize that it's a scary thing because storms are scary. And I don't want storms. Because if you asked me what I wanted, try to bring it full circle, I just want God as my Savior. That's all that I want. I want God as my Savior. Protect my family, protect my possessions, increase my possessions, keep me healthy, keep me happy, let everyone know that my opinion is always right. My opinion is the only one that matters. And, and if someone doesn't believe what I say, then they're the dork or the idiot, depending on how wrong they were. That's what I want God for. And that's why him being my Lord is very important. Because he takes the guy that wants everything to revolve around him and he turns him into someone that says, God, I trust you and I submit to you. And I don't, I don't understand why I don't need these things, but I'm willing to give them to you. I don't understand why you're calling me to talk to these people, but I will. And I want to tell you this. I also want to share, you, you hear, the, probably not even relevant to the sermon. But I want to share, I was just reminded of it, that, that I fail too, especially when it comes to evangelism. And I know that I've been pressing you guys to bring up Jesus in a conversation. And there's no way that I'm going to ask you to do something that I'm unwilling to try myself. And it's never easy for me. So the other day, you guys know the story of Macy getting me the um, camera for Christmas, the doorbell, the ring doorbell. So the other day, I'm in the office, sitting there studying, and my phone goes off, and the ring doorbell goes off, and I'm like, sweet, I get an opportunity to talk to someone through my phone this time. So I answer it, and he's not a shady-looking guy, but he's kind of a shady-looking guy. So I'm like, 
I've really got to answer this to act like I'm in the bathroom so that he doesn't bust my door down. So I'm talking to this guy on my phone and I'm holding it there and I'm like, hey buddy, what do you want? Buddy, hey. Hey buddy, hey. What are you doing? And he's just sitting there just like this. I'm like, this dude's totally going to rob my house because he's not even hearing my voice and he's not even letting me know that he's hearing my voice. He's just acting like he hears nothing. Hey, what do you want? What do you want? And I increase my, my voice. Hey, what do you want? Then he writes something on something and he puts it on my door. So when he's walking up to the door, I'm like, what do you want? Surely you can hear it. Then he walks off. And then I realized I had to hit the green button. <laughs> and I'm like, user error, missed my one opportunity. Gosh. So I'm yelling in the office at somebody. He's about to rob my house. He could have took all my possessions. I probably deleted the video evidence. Either way, I get home, and I better go see what this terrorist put on my front porch. That's what I felt like. So I go up there, and it was a card. And he removed stumps. So he was just driving through neighborhoods, writing quotes for how much he'd remove my stump for. 20 bucks. And I'm like, 20 bucks is a steal. So too good to be true. So next evening, I called him, talked to him, and he said, I'll be there um, in a couple days. Meet you out there. So I met him, and he brings his rig and starts doing it. And um, afterwards, I started to talk to him. And I said, here, here, here's the accountability. I'm asking the church to bring up Jesus in a conversation. And here's a conversation that I'm having with someone who's outside of the church. Will I be willing to take one step and trust God? So you know what I did? I said, so hey, you know, surely this $20 tree stump thing isn't going to provide for every need of your house. What else do you do? And he said he did some truck driving. I said, oh man, that's great. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And then that always makes the conversation weird. <laughs> and he said, oh, cool. I got denied. It hurt. But I wasn't going to be denied that much. I'm like, come on now, buddy. Life's tough. Everyone faces hurt. Everyone faces something. So then what he was able to do then is um, open up about his past. He lost his mom when he was nine. His dad never paid rent. So basically, they'd live in a place for three months, get evicted, go to a new place, get evicted, go to a new place, three months later and get evicted. And he said, I'm just always working because I'm trying not to be my, be my dad. So I asked him, I said, can I pray for you? He said, no, thank you, I'm okay. But you know what? One of three responses are always going to happen. We're going to get denied, they're going to have more questions, or they're going to say yes. And I was okay with it. So just, just the tweener. It was scary for me. I was still shaken. Maybe that's why my heart was elevated. I don't know. 
But I want to represent Jesus, and I want you guys to represent Jesus and fall so deeply in love with him that it's no longer a struggle. Because it's not a struggle for me to claim Macy. I'll claim Macy in front of anyone and everyone. Why is it a struggle to represent someone that I'm supposed to love so much more than, than her? And then what you have to do is then you just have to tell yourself you love your wife more than you love Jesus. Not even joking. So then you know what you say is, you come up here and you, you cry out and you pray and you say, Jesus, I need you. Because I love my wife more than I love you and that's a bad place to be. Nevertheless, that was free. Nothing to do with the sermon. Felt like I needed to share it. Paul's in the storm. Storms scare people. And I guess that storm was scaring me as well. If you want to know God deeply, then you have to trust him one step further today. One step further in that valley. One step further. What could one step further look like you today? Maybe that one step further is praying with your spouse. Maybe that one step further is talking to someone at Walmart or talking to your family about Jesus. So Paul went through a bunch, right? He had this history. He had this history with Jesus. I'm going to try to get us back in that history mindset. Paul believed the angel and believed that God was going to be faithful because he's seen God do it before. And Paul has been through some stuff. So 2 Corinthians 11, we'll wrap it up. 2 Corinthians 11, here's Paul's words. This is what he's been through. This is what Paul was willing to endure for the sake of Jesus. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to, uh, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then here it says, I guess it's thinking, I am out of my mind for talking like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. That's enough for me. That's more than most American Christians have ever faced right there. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So not in a boat, just chilling. I have been constantly... <laughs> just chilling. <laughs> he probably had his um, penguin floaty out there, okay? I have spent, yeah, I have spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea. Jeez. And in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. That one's just enough to keep us from coming to church too, isn't it? 
or from serving. I'm, I'm right with you. Because I know many of us today are like, I already lost an hour of sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches who is weak. And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. Why did Paul keep on going back to Jesus after one of these things? After one. I want to say this carefully, but honestly, we run from Jesus for far less. I run from Jesus for far less. Why would Paul continually put one step in front of the next, in front of the next, in front of the next? I believe is because he had history to see God's faithfulness prevail for him when he was in the storm. Amen? God's faithfulness in the storm when there's no hope. We must go back for more. We must keep on, as my dad would say, keep on putting on that Rocky Balboa tape and getting up and chasing after God. We must go back into the storms. We will be scared, but we can be scared and trust God at the same time. See, sometimes fear keeps us from the lessons that would have propelled us if we would have stayed where we were. If we would have remained on the ship if we would have stayed course, God would have created in us a deep history. I really believe this. I, I will try to articulate it the best of my ability. The depth of the storm that you're in, I think you can flip that once you're through it, and then you'll have the depth and the knowing of who Jesus is based upon the depth of that storm. Right? So, please... Don't pray that I want to know you more intimately, God, and then face something that you didn't want to face and then come back here to your safe, safe space. If you want to know God more, say, God, I want to know you more and I trust you wherever you're going to lead me. And just trust him and trust him and then that's going to create this deep inner intimacy and depth in you. Stay the course don't jump ship. Verse 30. And in an attempt to escape, that's what we like to do, right? We like to escape these storms. And in an attempt, attempt, sorry, attempt to escape the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the, so the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. 
God's telling us, remain where he has you. Remain in the storm. And if you don't remain where God wants you to be, you're not going to live. Embrace the storm. Don't jump ship. See, our nature is to jump. And that's what the enemy wants us to do. You're hurting right now. You're hurting right now. So, so put the blame on someone else. Jump. Jump ship, right? Put the blame on someone else because you're hurting. Or, or financially you're hurting. Jump ship. Jump ship. Jump from where I've called you to be. This is all over, so just jump ship. There's no hope. Just jump ship. That's what the enemy speaks to us. Just jump. Just, just end it. Just, just finish it. Just give up. Oh, you can fix this. Just get the lifeboat in a shady manner and go figure it out on yourself, by yourself. Good luck. The safest place to be is where God has you, even if that's in the storm. Trust God. Paul's history with God allowed him to trust the angel's word. Final point. God is near to you every time you call on him. Deuteronomy 4.7 says this. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way that and here's what's important. The way that the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. Whenever we pray to him, God is near. God is near you today. Amen. So what I wanted to do is, um, I wanted to pray for some of you guys in a storm today. We haven't had anything this formal in a while, this direct but I'd like to pray for those who are in a storm today, any kind of storm. You feel trapped. You feel like there's no way out. You don't know what to do. So um, let's, let's do that. Let me pray real quick, and then I'm going to dismiss you guys. And then if you're facing a storm, we just want to have leadership come up here, any kind of leadership come up here, and we're going to pray with you guys. So Father... Thank you for being with us in the storm. Thank you for getting us through the storm. But I pray as, or I ask, Father, that as we pray for people today, that, um, that you would draw near to them, that you would give them hope in the storm, and that they would continually do whatever it takes to remain alive in you. Thank you, Father, that as much as we can do, um, it's very limited. But you do everything, Father, really. In Jesus' name, amen.